You're listening to DraftKings Network. Look how many goals you've gotten beat. What? Dry Seidel. Yeah. Dry Seidel. Fuck off. Hey everybody, this is Allison Lucan and we are back with another Fast and Furious episode of Too Many Men. As always, I am joined by one of the most well-thought persons in terms of taking care of herself and really holding everyone accountable and there is an undervalued um, importance in that and that is the athletics Sarah Sivian. Sarah, how are you? Well... I think I fixed my microphone, folks. We've been having this issue, so thanks, Allison, for the suggestions. We'll see if it works. But I am really fucking sick and tired of logging onto Twitter and seeing our politicians tweet instead of reform gun control. So I'll say that. Coming in hot. I love it, and I agree. Uh, of course, we would not be too many men without the person who knows so much about sports and doesn't just know it, but is passionate about it, lives it, and brings it to life with spirit and joy and moving pictures. And that is <laughs> Shayna Goldman of The Athletic. Shayna, say hi. Hi. Hello. Well, my friends, <laughs> as we've talked about, uh, the, the playoffs are going fast and furious, and we're going to be coming at you on a regular basis, updating you on what's happening in these games but as the games dwindle, we have a little bit more time to also talk about some news and notes from around the league. And we thought that we would start. There's, of course, as always happens this time of year, there's changes that happen with bench bosses. And if you don't know about where to find coaching information, real quick, Shana, give a little hype pep to, I know you're in the process of updating it, but there's a site that you and Mike Murphy run. Tell us about that. Tell us why it's such an excellent resource for the hockey community. You're good. Tell you, you are good. Um, it's uh, behindthebenches.com, and you can find things like coaching history. So for every head coach that gets hired, you can click, and it'll show you their full resume. It gives you a breakdown of a timeline for every team's coaching staff and what positions they run. So the assistant coaches, what their roles are, and you can give a season-by-season -season look as well. Fantastic. Well, Sarah, Shana's going to have some even some more updating to do because – We've got some empty, some more chairs emptying. And Sarah, the first piece of news we got, and this is um, from last week, is that Rick Bonus is stepping down from behind Dallas. I think poor Dallas was a little bit of a punching bag for a lot of us because we never really knew what this team was all about last year. What's your take on Bonus stepping down? Do you think this helps Dallas? Do you think it opens opportunity for Dallas? What's, what's going on there from your perspective? My take is that I feel like a lot of coaches are taking the initiative to step down recently. I don't know what that's about. Maybe another opportunity is on deck for Rick. Um, I like him. I, I don't really think he's the problem there, but I do think a little jolt could help the team. But I don't know. I feel like, I don't know, the ship has sailed on this core for me. What do you eh. – I don't know if I want to say go that far, but Shana, I, I feel like you have some good takes on Dallas. What do you think? I feel like Dallas is a team that they thrive off boring hockey, and I think that they have more skill in their lineup than to play that style. You know, you have a core that includes Jason Robertson, Joe Pavelski, and Rupe Hintz. They're the only forwards that do anything, and Miro Heiskanen. Yeah. So 
Yeah, I want to see someone like bring some new ideas to help those players thrive and also bring more offense to three more lines and two more defense pairs. Like, I feel like Dallas has an opportunity to go in a new direction now that I'm hoping that they take because, I mean, I'm selfish. I care about the playing styles I like. But, um, no, I, just, I think that Bonus is a little bit outdated. I kind of look at when he was an assistant in Tampa and – their defense didn't do much for me, and then after he left, you kind of saw him take a little bit more proactive of an approach, so I'm wondering if the same happens here. Outstanding. Well, it will be interesting to see because, as Sarah pointed out, that roster is probably going to change for a variety of reasons. Um, it seemed like they were a little bit of a, a lark to me in terms of <laughs> their postseason at all, but here we are. Um, another coach that has been rumored to be wanting behind the bench all season and may actually now be seeing it, um, is it has been reported that John Tortorella may be interviewing with the Flyers of the Philadelphias. Moving around the Metro as he may be want to do, he's been behind the Rangers bench, he's been behind the Blue Jackets bench, and now to go to the Flyers. This is fascinating to me. I don't necessarily hate it. Um, this could be the kind of coach that this team needs. It would be the kind of coach that, in my opinion, would match beautifully uh, with that media market, much to the delight of many of us. Um, but Shana, you have also watched Torts. Um, we've all watched him um, in the Metro. Your take on the validity of Torts in Philadelphia, do you think it's a good match? I think Torts, and coming from someone who watched him closely with the Rangers when he was as old school as it got, I think that he has a bad rep for being old school because I think he's like, uh, he's an old school coach with a couple tweaks to his strategy that he's learned over the years. And I find that really interesting because, I mean, someone here <clears throat> wrote this lovely article about how he changed his approach and thinking when he went to Columbus and, you know, started caring about scoring chances, not just goals and things like that. So I think that's important that he took a step back and looked at how he was coaching and changed that. But for me, I also love this because it's John Tortorella taking over and Elaine Vigneault coach. And if you remember, when the Rangers fired Vigneault, a lot of the players talked about, you know, their practice schedules under him and how maybe they didn't give it their all all the time and things like that. So it's interesting for Torts, who is the complete opposite, to come in and clean that up. And I think that he's a fit for the job in that respect because an Elaine Vigneault system ruins goalies and shreds, you know, defense. So I, I think it's interesting and I think it's easy to look at them and go, they're sticking with the old school because Vigneault was a coach who is who he is and has never adapted despite what the Flyers tried to put out there. And Torts gets the reputation, but I don't think is that way. So I want to see him keep pushing it forward, and I just think this could be a really interesting fit. Allison, can you you know Torts well. Can you tell us something about him that we might not know? You know, I think it's interesting, and Shane, as you were talking about practice, like this is a man who actually doesn't, support practice for practice sake. Um, he was one of the first coaches in this recent history to stop holding morning skates. He was like, this is stupid. Why are we coming in, putting on gear just to get sweaty and you have to come back in 12 less than 12 hours later and put it all on again? This is dumb. Um, it so is. it is very much so. <laughs> um, so he, you know, he is, he is very willing to do things differently. You know, he and Mike Sullivan, as Shana said, we're two of the first coaches to really start talking about the concept of scoring chances, not just shot volume. Um, and he's very open 
to hearing new ideas. Um, it was funny, a uh, friend of the show, hopefully even more so officially soon, Jeff Merrick, was talking a while back about how teams are finally starting to shoot for empty nets. Um, and John Tortorella was doing this back in 2019 based on the advice of his analytics team in Columbus. So he's very open to new ideas. And I think that's interesting. As Shana said, I think it's an evolution of what he is. Um, and I always go back to that when John Tortorella came to Columbus, Aaron Portsline uh, with The Athletic now, but who has covered the Blue Jackets since their inception, did a story where he tried to find a former player to talk shit about torts because of the reputation. And honestly, it's very, very difficult um, because even if guys don't like the process in the moment, it's really hard to find a guy who doesn't appreciate what he's all about and the fact that he is honest and you always know where you stand with him and you always know what he thinks. Um, so there's, there's a little bit more behind, and he has changed, very true, but there's a little bit more behind the curtain than what people might think. And I think he has changed. I think that's great. I love when people can change and open their minds to new ideas. So I think that's actually key. Yeah, and I think one of those new ideas you mentioned, you know, scoring chances, he embraced the idea of having rovers with Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski. I can tell you from the New York days that never fucking would have happened. It was shot blocking, defense first. You could think of the days of Dan Girardi throwing his body in front of everything, Ryan McDonough, Mark Stahl. That's the defense he built in New York. That was completely different in Columbus. And he, you know, obviously it was Bradshaw who built the penalty kill, but I don't think Bradshaw was doing that if Torts didn't agree with it either. So I think that, I mean, the power kill, but, you know, that's something important too. There's so many different things he did, and it's very easy to look at the one quote and go, he must be still an asshole. And I'm sure to an extent he is an asshole as a coach, but most coaches are. But it seems like, you know, maybe people aren't willing to give him that chance to, to actually, like, pull back the curtain and see. And maybe it was because he was in Columbus and people didn't want to pay attention, even though there was really good content coming out of Columbus on him that could have taught you this. The other thing I'm interested to watch, and this might be unheralded because, you know, it was maybe nestled in the Columbus uh, market, is I would really love Torts to be back in the Metro because he and Mike Sullivan, who are dear, 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 dear friends, go at each other. I mean, they have screamed at each other on the benches when Sullivan has rolled out his first power play when they already had an established win late in the game. Like, those two back in, in the same division is a delightful gift for us all. It's Boston kids. I get it. I love it. It's like a different type of asshole, a sincere <laughs> asshole who's going to yell at you to your face and not behind your back. <laughs> They, exactly, exactly. <laughs> anyway, we have the too many men stamp of approval on that one. <laughs> and I think that says something, right? Because, yeah. you know, we would be the first to talk about coaches that shouldn't be back in the mix for, you know, a million reasons. And it's like, no, we're, we're actually saying this is, a, this is a good fit. This is someone to get back out there. And if everybody likes how Mike Sullivan has evolved, you should be looking at the coach he evolved alongside because they were together first. For sure. And, you know, one thing, Sarah, you did earlier when we were talking about coaching changes is you talked about let's throw out names of people who haven't been NHL coaches. And so, uh, listeners, we want to hear from you. Let us know on social. Let us know in the comments who should be in the conversation for a head coaching job who has not already been an NHL head coach. Let's shake up this narrative. Uh, so keep watching. I'm sure there's going to be more changes behind the benches. Vancouver did have some changes in terms of their assistants. Um, but right now, they obviously are keeping the head coach and uh, Bradshaw and Ian Clark, the goaltending coach, are also being retained. So look for some some secondary level changes there behind that bench. Moving on, a team that was eliminated also generated some news. 
Uh, Mark Giordano signs with the Toronto Maple Leafs for two years at, I believe it's 800000 a year, just under a million. Reports have him agreeing to take less um, than expected to stay with a team that he thinks is a contender. Uh, Mark Giordano is obviously a, a fantastic player, but later in his career, and rightly so, is, is pursuing a championship. Sarah, do you like this signing? Were you surprised by it? Your take on Gio staying as a Leaf. My sweet summer child. Taking a pay cut to stay with the Leafs is like a kinky thing. I don't, I don't know. I just, as much as I do like the team and I do think they need to stay the course and they will eventually get to the second round, I would not take a pay cut to hedge my bets on that one. They will. Dare to dream. Eventually you'll get to the second round, my sweet child. <laughs> yeah, no, literally. That's, that's actually the standard. <laughs> Shana, do you like the signing? Yes. I think he was a really good fit there. He was really good on their third pair, and he brought stability. You know, he is more defensive at this point in his career, but he's not too one-dimensional. Like, you know, him alongside, you know, a puck-moving partner can work out. And I think he was really good. I think he added a lot more to that blue line that they needed, and that's – that's the kind of move to stay the course. Would I have taken a pay cut to do it? I mean, probably not just for the headache alone that is Toronto. As, as fun as he might have had there, like as much fun as he might have had there, would I have done that? Probably not. But like, good for you. Good for you. I hope it works out. <laughs> well, and we must stay with Toronto because, again, even if Toronto can't get to the second round, they can sustain us with just very Toronto-specific <laughs> content. Um, and this is a shout-out to our friend Spencer Fischetta uh, at Puck Nerd Hockey on Twitter, who made sure we saw that the curse of Drake continues. Apparently, and, and I'm not an F1 person, so if one of you are, you can expand here, but uh, Drake placed his first, this is from earlier uh, this week, Drake placed his first F1 bet. He bet $230,000 on Charles Leclerc, Leclerc engines failed, and he lost the championship lead. <laughs> Drake cannot pick a winner. Sarah, the Drake curse is real. True or false? True. He's got to go, or he's got to be a little quiet about it. But honestly, I I like watching this happen. I don't. I like Drake, but at the same time, it's just a hilarious thing that has been happening for a decade now. <laughs> Shayna, any thoughts on on the Drake curse? I love it. I just love it. If I was an athlete and Drake was on my side, I'd kick him the fuck off. Like, please, <laughs> please don't bet on me. Please don't like me. Please don't acknowledge me. I'm better without you. Uh, maybe, I, that's, maybe that's why Austin Matthews was saying goodnight. <laughs> Night, please leave me alone. Please go away. No, I, what I want to know is I wish if I was his money manager and I saw him placing a bet or knew he was placing a bet, I would do everything in my power to find out what the bet was and bet against it. I think it's crazy the amount of money that he's betting. I know he has it, but I'm just like, I see those numbers and I'm like, <gasps> so if I was, I, I would be like, I will throw a thousand dollars and I would be very com comfortable if I was his manager being like throwing that much money down, which I feel like it's a lot for betting. Everyone's gonna be like, no, it's not. Being like, oh, you, you put 250 down, I'm putting $1,000 down, opposite <laughs> of you and see how it works out for me and then build from there. So then you too could start spending 250K on a bet. Welcome to our financial podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's one more. That's enough for the Leafs. I'm sure they'll continue to provide us glorious content um, in the offseason as well. Um, there is one more off signing. And this one I think is interesting because this, is, this was a pending free agent um, that was starting to gain a lot of traction, at least from what I was seeing in terms of being an attractive 
candidate to add to a roster, um, looking really good from an underlying numbers perspective, and obviously hitting that point in his career where a big payday might have been expected or pursued. And that is Brian Rust. Brian Rust elects to stay in Pittsburgh. Um, Some have suggested maybe he took a little less, but again, we are in a different cap space than we've been in previous years. Shayna, do you like the signing? Do you like the player? And who got the better side of this value equation? I like the player. I think he's very good. He's been a great fit in Pittsburgh, and he's really emerged there. I I don't hate the signing at all. I mean, for for it's, I think for Pittsburgh, they have so many pending free agents that anybody that they can keep, they have all the space in the world and have to figure out what they want to do. And, you know, Crosby is still there, so if you want to keep surrounding him by skill, you absolutely should. This is a team that, you know, at a certain point, it's going to be like they really need to restock the decks. But if you have Crosby and he's playing at this level, you have to keep going for it, you know. And I think Rust is a key part of it. Um I think the deal's fine for both sides. Maybe he could he probably could have pushed for more, you know, had he gone to unrestricted free agency. But I understand, you know, keeping it team friendly. Again, you're in a, you're in what better position could he be in than, you know, playing with Sidney Crosby and Jake Gensel? I cannot see many better positions to be in. So, you know, I get I understand, you know, taking a deal to make it work for all all sides but I'm really curious what they do from here because obviously we're going to hear a lot about like Malkin, Latang, and if they don't stick then they have all the cap space in the world to do some damage so I really want to see what they do. Sarah? You nailed it there. I have nothing else to add and I completely agree. Hashtag cosine. <laughs> all right well that's some of our bit o news sarah's favorite segment if you'd like to sponsor it please do so so sarah has to say it more um <laughs> let's move on to our round two vibe check two games last night now this is when things are going to get to start to get interesting because series are going to end and so it's not just about how the series are going but it's about what teams are able to get rest while other series kind of linger on and the series that looks like it might go the longest at least right now, I mean, this is a series where we know there have to be at least two more games. We don't know that for any of the other remaining series. And that is the battle of too many men, my friends. It is Rangers Carolina. Sarah's saying a self-little prayer to herself in this moment. After going up 2-0 in commanding form, Carolina at home, they cannot win on the road. It's now 2-2 Rangers Carolina. Sarah, you are obviously there in New York. You've been covering this team up close all season. What are you seeing? Can you explain this phenomenon? And what does Carolina need to do now? It's like you don't want to get too wrapped up in the narrative of things like this because sometimes it's just how it shakes out. I do think at this point it might be in their heads a little bit just because they've lost five consecutive games on the road. And it's it's like no matter how they lost them, it, it the fact is that that's the situation and they're going to have to play a lot more games than their next opponent if they make it to the next round. But I don't think you can keep do like you can't keep doing this. You can't you're going to get tired. People are going to get hurt. And even I was exhausted after game three, just the amount like they had a good game, though. Like, I'm not going to say they're playing poorly. I think they played poorly in this the last game, game four. I think they need to do something on the power play. And I think when the Rangers were talking, you got Ryan Reeves saying he's going to run people. I think the Canes let that get to them because then they're the ones coming out and trying to fight and taking an instigator penalty. And I love Stevie Lorenz. And he 
is one of the sweetest. He's never fought in the NHL before. And then he just, he saw Domi on the ground and he heard Reeves' comments and he probably thought, oh, this was intentional danger, like whatever. He saw the guy, I talked to him after the game and he said, well, I saw the guy on the ground. Now it looks like he had been falling, but like when it's in the heat of the moment, you don't see that. You just see a big guy and a small guy on the ground. So I went over there and did what I thought he'd do for me. And when you put it like that, I understand. But you can't – Igor Shosturkin has been really good, The I mean, always, but especially the past two games at home. And, I mean, I don't think you can give other – part. like, that's the one thing you have to deal with. You can't focus on anything else, and you can't let the rest of your game get away from you. You have to be sharp on everything else and then just keep peppering Igor. Sarah, you mentioned special teams, and I know other people are pointing to that as an issue as well for Carolina – is special teams the main point of concern for you tactically? Does Rod Brindamore need to bring out a new tie? What needs to happen here <laughs> to help Carolina reverse the tide of their play? I think they need to get out of their own heads on the power play because it's like they look on the they play scared on the power play. It looks like they're trying to avoid getting a point shot taken and then letting the other team run with it. And it's like you just got to take these shots. You but you also at the same time don't have to take lazy shots. Like you, it just feels like. I don't know. I liked Martin Natchez's game yesterday, and I have not liked it for a while. And he rung one off the post. And there was another post from Ajo on the power play. It's like when I actually think about it, I think the problem is they aren't scoring. I, but it is so inconsistent, like, with the if they show up or they don't. I don't like the second unit. Um, and this first unit and the second unit get the same amount of time. So I'm just like, I need to give the first unit a few more seconds to work some magic. And last one for you, Sarah, before we switch to the other side of the ice on this one. Do you have an update on Freddie? <laughs> oh, it's getting mad at me. <laughs> but I in all seriousness, help, a... help our listeners know where, where, what we do know about the goaltending situation right now for Carolina. Okay. Anderson has started practicing. Um, he started practicing the day before game four, and then he was in net on the not starters net um, for a morning skate. And... I asked Rod if he's available, and he said, nope, and I'll let you know when he is. And I'm like, okay, well, is it Ranta's net to lose when he is available? And he's like, I'll let you know. So we're not getting any answers because this injury, uh, like a knee injury on a goalie is so fickle that I think they're very much avoiding trying to say he's going to come back and then he has another setback. And Freddie Anderson is somebody that needs to be 700% well or he's not going to play but luckily that well, luckily I don't know but it just goaltending hasn't been the issue for the Canes they need to score a goal so Shayna on the other side of this battle come the New York Rangers a team that you know well and have covered for quite some time Igor is obviously the easy answer to what's working for New York but you have talked throughout this postseason throughout this regular season about wanting to see some changes in the lines to optimize who's going who's not going New York had a really strong start in game four here yesterday, and then they just kind of buckled it down. Other than Igor, we know how good he is. Other than Igor, what's working for the Rangers, and are there other things that you still want to see them do better? So I think what's working for the Rangers, and especially like what worked in game four, was the Rangers were able to come out to a lead. So no matter what, Carolina was going to have to score three goals you know, when it was 3-1 to tie the game or 4-1, you have to score now five goals to beat Chesterkin. Do I see that happening in a game? No. So if they can get him that support, that's that's the difference maker, that it's not him holding them in a one nothing game. 
Um, they're, they're staying closer at five on five than I think any of us could have anticipated. You know, the Hurricanes are one of the best five on five teams. It's not just about shot quantity. It's about shot quality. The Rangers, on the other hand, are not. (laughs) And definitely not in the playoffs. Like every defensive improvement that they made at the end of the regular season went to shit in round one. And now we see that structure like actually holding up. I think more so between the first two pairs, the third pair has struggled a bit with uh, Braun and Schneider. But I think we've seen in a handful of games where even if they allow more shots, they're keeping them to the outside. I think last night was a great example with like Adam Fox and Ryan Lindgren on the ice. I think shot attempts were 16 to 7, uh, 16, 17 with Fox on the ice in Carolina's favor. But the expected goal differential was huge because there were only, you know, three quality shots against, let's say, you know, near that net front area. Well, the Rangers are getting to the quality area, something that they've struggled with as well. So there have been some games in the series you don't see them generate their own quality chances either. And they actually did last night. So I think that's super important for them to be successful in the series is keeping that up. And even if they're not going to outshoot the Canes, it's mitigating the damage of the shots that Carolina puts on and trying to find ways to exploit their very good defense. Lindgren was so good last night. I was like, holy shit, my opinion on him changed in one day. (laughs) He's he's an interesting one because like when he first came to the Rangers – he was very one-dimensional, and he was very set in that. I think there was a quote that came out. He was like, I'm an old-school defenseman. That's my game, and I'm going to make it work. And it was like, sorry, you have to learn to adapt. And he spent a year in the minors and then did adapt. I think he got a skating coach and everything too. So, And obviously playing alongside Adam Fox, it's not like – I think we saw in round one, like Justin Braun skated alongside Adam Fox, and Patrick Nemeth you know, has taken shifts there too. It's not that Adam Fox can literally make a replacement-level defenseman effective like – Lindgren is a legitimately good defensive defenseman, and Fox only elevates that. The the pair works so well together, and having them back gives the Rangers so many more options because they have two pairs that they can lean on instead of one pair they could lean on, which in round one was Miller and Truba, and the rest is just chaos. Predictions for game five. Sarah, they go back to Carolina. What do you think happens? Well, I'm not going to – I think the Canes are going to win. (laughs) <laughs> like I just every time I try to predict something that it is not them winning or losing at home or on the road, I'm wrong. So I'm just gonna stick with what their plan apparently is. Shayna, Canes win five because they only win at home. Every single game this series, all four games, you know, in round one and two games in round two have been on home ice. So let's give them that. See what happens if. The Rangers come back in six again, and then I have no idea what the fuck would happen for seven. Yeah. What do you think? I think, uh, oh, Allison, you. I'm just here, I'm <laughs> yeah, just here for the vibes. Allison. I'm just here for the vibes. Just here for the vibes. Go, Sarah. No, I want to know what you think as, like, an objective yeah. source. So this is me being a little bit more narrative than I usually am, but, I like, it's very strange to me that Carolina cannot win on the road. And that, to me, speaks to some consistency in your underlying game. And I think Carolina's the better team. I think Carolina will win this game, but they need to win it in dominating fashion. And they must win game six. They just must. Yes, absolutely right. Because I do think I haven't seen the Canes dominate. Like, these have all been very, very close games. And that wasn't necessarily supposed to be the case. I mean, we know Igor was going to Igor eventually. But I think... Hurricanes' best players need to show up. They just really aren't, and that's yeah. problematic. They, they have another level, and I just don't think we've seen that. And that's not even to, like, the Rangers 
playing the way they have definitely comes into into play here. It's not just the Canes are sucking and that's it. The Rangers are doing well in the series, but I think even with the way the Rangers are playing, Carolina has another gear we haven't seen. Yeah. Well, let's move on. There's another series that uh, this series, y'all. I do, I don't I don't know what to make of it. I don't know that I like it. <laughs> it is the Battle of Alberta. Um, and it's interesting, uh, this is one where I was like, yeah, whatever. I mean, the most exciting thing to come out of this so far was Yahoo Yeehaw for us. Um, and then I swear the goalies have like shape-shifted and changed personalities <laughs> or something like they're dressing up in each other's outfit. Um, I've been shocked by what's going on with Markstrom. I've been shocked by what Mike Smith has been able to do, although he came back last night. Oh, my for, God, for did he? amazing. I yelled. Amazing. I actually yelled when I saw that. I was like, oh, my God, someone comes running through and like, what? I'm like, look at that. Like, I lost it. <clears throat> but Calgary's deployment seems scattered <clears throat> to me. Kristanev comes back, doesn't look great. They went 11-7 and seven in game four. Uh, and long story short, McDavid and Evander Kane are being big, big difference makers in this series I know, um, but <laughs> we end up, even though Calgary is able to come back and tie the game late last <clears> night, <throat> they're going to head back to Calgary with a 1-3 series deficit. Edmonton can close this out with one more win. My goodness gracious, Brady Kachuk, we need your magic now more than ever. Shana, talk, first talk us through the play yeah. that, we're, that we're talking about here with Mike Smith last night, and just give a, then give us your impressions on the series is it what you, let's start broad. Is it what you expected after you talk about Mike Smith? No. Oh, okay. First, okay. Mike Smith. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Mike Rebel. Smith, I have made that known. I don't trust him because I think even when he plays really well, I do think that he, there's, I like puck movement, puck moving goalies, but he's so risky with some of the plays that it's like, you don't need to go for that. And in this series, his ability to move the puck has actually helped the Oilers break out, and that's a great advantage to have. That was something, if you look last year at Marc-Andre Fleury in the uh, round one series against the Wild, that was one of the biggest things. He was able to start the breakouts, and it just put the Golden Knights on transit, you know, in their transition game that they thrive off of. So for the Oilers, they have the skaters, especially at their top of their lineup, to play that style. That if Mike Smith can start it, I think that's encouraging because we all know they don't have the perfect puck-moving defense. Like, there are some bright spots like Evan Bouchard and you know we know Nurse can play that way and Brett Kulak was a good addition for those reasons too but it's not a perfect blue line so that does help but it can bite them and like it can at any point this series overall um I'm a bit disappointed in this series because I think game one we saw like the chaos it could be and I didn't expect that moving forward like I figured we saw more defense and more goaltending um I have a, a huge running theory right now is that the Flames would be better if Brady Kachuk was getting white girl wasted, and I know he grabs a lot of attention that way, but Matthew Kachuk had a hat trick the game that he did that, and we haven't seen much of Brady the last three games, who did get a deal with Budweiser Canada, and now we're barely seeing him, and I understand it to an extent. You know, there's a game to focus on, but he was a bright spot in it, and I think that he needs to go all out for game five, or the series is over. Shana, um, he doesn't want to go to Edmonton. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe that's it. Um, Markstrom though, that's, that's the red flag for me. Uh, he was outstanding in the regular season and he has fallen below expectations. Even in the game he won, he was pretty terrible. I, I, I have questions like, is the fact that he played what was like 80% of the starts 
for the Flames weighing on his game now? Was it too much and now he's burnt? Or do the Flames, the Oilers just know how to beat him? Like, I really don't know, but you're seeing the top of the Oilers lineup, which is stacked right now, thrive, and the Flames don't have an answer for it. I would like to point out Chana gave us her entire analysis and did not explain the Mike Smith play from yesterday. Yes, it did. Oh, explain the specific play. I thought you meant his game overall. Oh, yeah. This yesterday, <laughs> Anderson, Ander, Rasmus Anderson was just clearing the puck on the penalty kill from his own zone, and I, they said it got lost in the crowd and on the replays. Like, it was tough to spot, but here it was. Mike Smith allowed a goal, and that tied the game 3-3, and moments before that, Markstrom made a huge save on Dreisaitl to keep that a 3-2 game. It could have been 4-2 there so easily. Like, look Dreisaitl. how many goals gotten beat. What? Dreisaitl. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck off. <laughs> but I, I, I do want to say it's chaos. It, it, it is chaos. Um, and Mike Smith was quoted after the game saying, I can laugh now. I don't think there has been a time in my career where I lost a puck and had no idea where it went. My brother in Christ, we're watching your career too. I think there's been a few times. <laughs> Did you see on Evolving Hockey, it literally had an, that shot had an expected goal value of like 0.0034. It's like one of the like seven lowest shots in like the modern hockey era going all the way back to 0708. It's amazing. That's, it's wild. I feel like it has to be tough when a puck's cleared like that. You don't expect it. But like it is a three, it is a one goal game and the flames are pressuring Imagine they lost. Imagine they lost after that. That would have been the most Mike Smith thing to happen. And also, which game? Which goal was worse? The one Markstrom allowed to open oh. the game, which was as Mike Smith as it got, or the the goal Mike Smith actually allowed. What's worse? That's Mike what Smith is getting out. Mike Smith. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean. The goaltending thing is mind-blowing, but Sarah, the Flames came into this playoffs. Some people were are, were saying they were even better than Colorado, that they were the cup favorite, that they were on this roll, that they were a powerhouse. Are you surprised? Because the Flames did not dominate that series against Dallas either. Are you surprised that this is the playoff version of Calgary that we're seeing? I'm not I'm not shocked. I think every year legally we have to over exaggerate the importance of a Canadian team so that all the Canadian reporters can be happy and think we're whatever it is. But they like I'm getting like offended at how much they're hyping up the Flames. I think the Flames are really good, but I, I do think like they had their struggles. They had scoring woes didn't they they like struggled to score a lot during the regular season and went on a tear eventually but i think i don't know i was also hyping up the flames i'm kind of talking to myself i think (laughs) the oilers are just finally stepping up to the team that they can we always knew they could be dry sidle just (laughs) broke um postseason history for what is it four consecutive three-point games like and McDavid too, like his point totals. Uh, what is he up to now? Twenty-five points, is it or something? It's like insane. that's. I'm that's, proud of him. Know. I knew he could do it. I was pushing him. I was being bad cop. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so curious though. Let's say if Edmonton does move on and they presumably get Colorado, and we'll find that out possibly tonight or Friday. Like, do you keep Drysaddle and McDavid together because it's obviously working right now this series? We know Drysaddle is not a hundred percent. 
and having him with McDavid helps. You have two threats on one line. But again, and we know the Flames' offense isn't going against Colorado. Can can you afford to do that, or do you need to have two scoring lines? Like, can you afford to keep them stacked and hope for the best and load up your top line? Like, what's the better strategy then? Apparently, it's to play against Markstrom and goal. I don't know, but <laughs> literally, sometimes it just be like that. But I, I would keep them together until they lose, and then put them apart. That would I mean, be my coaching strategy. I mean, that's the thing. They now have the cushion. They need one more win, and everyone talks about how the fourth win is the hardest. But I did not expect Edmonton to be in the driver's seat in the series by any means. Um, the fourth win is the hardest. Maybe <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, all right, so here we are. We talked about our battle of too many men, the battle of Alberta. Listen, Calgary, we need you to do something. We need more Yeehaw Yahoo debate in our life. But, Sarah, what happens in Game 5? They're headed back to Calgary. What happens in this game, in your opinion? As Shane has said, as long as Brady Kachuk is there ready to go, I think the Flames are going to win. Shana? I think the Flames win. I don't, I don't see them losing three straight, uh, four straight. I think that they can win at least one more game. Okay. Do we like the coaching changes and strategy from Sutter to date? I like what he did with the second line. They were not getting much scoring. Here's below. a gold star. Yeah, he, <laughs> like that was that was something you know was they have the high end scoring on that top line. If the top line gets shut down, what happens? And Manji Pani, Coleman, and Backlund have been they've been excellent the last couple games still, even though the rest of the team is not. But I like I don't I don't know what the answer is, especially if Tanev's not a hundred percent like. It's it's that's a tough one. I really don't know like what they should be doing differently, or is it the coaching? Is it the players not executing? Like, is it a little bit of everything? Yeah. Perhaps a potpourri, if you will, a potpourri. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all. Well, we have three series that are continuing. One game tonight um, in Colorado, St. Louis. But again, the rest of the playoffs are still going on, other than the Battle of Florida, which we know has sent the Panthers to the golf course. As we do every episode, we're going to end with a quick fuck, Mary kill. And we got so many good ones um, yesterday and the day before. We had to let one ling- linger over to today. Today's fuck, Mary kill comes from our friend on Twitter, Niz the Misfit, at Nick, excuse me, at Nick the Misfit. And Sarah, I'm going to set you up to go first. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Retreading a little bit of our conversation from yesterday. Fuck, Mary kill. The Lucic hit on Smith, the Kadri hit on Binnington, or the Jeff Carter hit on Shesterkin? Go ahead. I'm killing Jeff Carter hit on Shesterkin because you don't mess with your goalies. Um, I am marrying the Lucic hit because that's what we expect from him. That's what he's got to do, and sometimes it happens in the playoffs. And I'm fucking the... Kadri on Bennington. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, there's goalies again, but that's a little different. <laughs> that goalie has big loser mentality, as Shana would say. Uh, <laughs> and that's not okay. I mean, uh, I don't really like fuck, Mary killing hits just because it's like I hate talking about hits in general because everyone is looking at a different thing, apparently, when we're all look, evaluating these things. But... um. Yeah, I, guess, I mean, can I kill, I can praying mantis this, right? 
fuck it then kill it so yeah. i'll do that with padre um i think Bennington isn't out for the whole playoffs if they make it to the next round so that's good Correct. at least Shayna. okay i'm gonna kill the carter and shesterkin hit because like there was nothing there there was no you know i think it was like over dramatized like do I think Carter could have avo- avoided that? Yes. Do I think Chester can took the long way around? Yes. So that was whatever. I will fuck the Kadri Bennington hit because there's a lot of good and bad. So the good is okay. I'm not saying it's good someone got hurt, but I think it's very funny the storylines from Bennington's perspective with the big loser energy, the overall saltiness, the water bottles, the everything. Like I look at that and I'm just like. That's the drama I feel like we need in this series. Every time that, you know, Kadri scores, they flash up to Bennington. They didn't have to the hat trick, and I was disappointed. And that's the big loser energy. I, I feed off it because I don't like his game, and I don't like his – I don't like him. I'm just going to say it. I don't like his personality. <laughs> yeah, I don't fucking like him. That's what I was like trying him. to say. <laughs> yeah. No, I'll say it. I don't fucking like Jordan Bennington. He has given me no reason to. I don't like his game. I don't like his contract. I don't like his personality. I don't like his former tweets. There is nothing to like about him. I'm sorry, Jordan Bennington, but I'm really fucking not. Um, but I don't, I, I cannot commit to that because I hate everything that's happened with Kadri off the ice because people are absolutely terrible and cannot understand that he did not mean to do it. And I wish it was another player that this was involved in because the whole storyline would be different. And I think that he has dealt with so much shit and now everyone's like, look at his adversity he's going through. Like, no, no, it's wrong. So, well, that's, you know, one time that's it, throw it away. Um, and then I will marry the Mike Smith hit because first of all, Mike Smith is out of his crease, which uh, is just glorious to see. And second of all, the quote from Lucic after where he was like, if I was aiming for him, I would have killed him because I even saw it. I'm like, he definitely looked like he pulled up. I get it. He doesn't get the benefit of the doubt, but he could have crushed him if he wanted to. And he chose not to. And the fact that he just fucking plainly said it after, I'll marry that. I love it. Oh, I thought we were talking about a skate. Oh, these were all goalies. Okay. I <laughs> probably look at the fuck Mary kills before we do them. Um, I had not seen that hit, to be honest with you guys. I'm caught up in traveling to and from New York City, so I missed that one. It's all good. I think that Shayna shared a lot of thoughts for all of us. (laughs) And and unfortunately, my opinions actually don't differ enough. Um, I also would kill the Carter hit on Shesterkin. Plus, like, it's Jeff Carter. I mean, come on. Like, moving on. Um, <laughs> I, I, I do. I like Sarah. I like your logic that Lucic being Lucic is something we should marry. And again, the quote and the smile and the like, you need a little bit of that in this series um, with his hit on. And again, it's Mike Smith. It's just too freaking funny. Um, and then Kadri hit on Bennington. We're going to fuck that because it's just a mess and I don't want it to be around anymore. So it's one night stand, one and done. We're over it. We're done. All right. Sarah, Shayna, that takes us through last night's game activity. Again, we have Colorado and St. Louis on tap for tonight. Is there anything else that I've missed? No. I think we've got it. Are you very organized? You're not going to catch it many times that we're like, actually, well, actually. <laughs> or actually, you take my, my copy before I even say it like you did last time. Because you're just that good. Oh, oh Shayna, just... share your review of the drinkware. There's more drinkware to review. Oh, yeah. Uh, yesterday, there was a package delivered here, and it was uh, to my boyfriend, so I didn't touch it. And he just, like, opens it up, and he's like, 
I bought a two honey wine glass, and I'm like, you could have just ordered a sample and done it for half the price. Like, <laughs> it's for me, but you didn't. And he was just like, well, I bought it for you. Aww. And I was just like, did you? And he was like, well, I bought it so we can both use it. And it's very nice. Uh, it's very bright. I, I like it a lot. I did not drink out of it last night because I only had coffee because I was very tired. And I fell asleep during the intermission last night. I was so tired. Um, so I will use it tonight and take a picture of it. It's very nice. So now I have all three drinkwares in my possession at the moment um, because I did not go to the post office yesterday. I, the, the water bottle I have not taken out of the box because once I figured out what happened, I stopped. The wine tumbler is very nice, and I like how the silver and the teal and purple pop. And the, the pint glass, so nice. You can drink coffee, you can ice coffee, you can drink water, you can drink beer. Enjoy it. My three beverages of choice. I feel like and we just I walked through all an IKEA review. Time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, friends. Well, again, if you are interested in Too Many Men merch, uh, you can find the links to all of that both on our Twitter bio and on our website. Our website is Too Many Men Pod. Com. Our Twitter handle is at two underscore much underscore man. We remain proud and enthusiastic members of the Lebetard and Friends Network. We're so happy to be part of that. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for joining us. Don't be racist. Fight against unnecessary gun violence. And until we talk again, take care of one another. Love you. Bye. Now that we have you miming to us, see you are back. Yeah. <laughs> Mother's Day is almost here. And you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.